It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, how can I rejoice in trials? Coming up in this episode, people say to expect the unexpected. As a Christian, what if the unexpected completely blows up the direction our life is taking? The Bible tells us to rejoice in trial. That's really easy to read and also easy to say, but let's be honest, it is not easy to do. How do we make gratitude real when things go bad? Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. It's a blessing to be with you. And Julie, a longtime CQ contributor and volunteer, is also with us. Hi, gentlemen. Jonathan, what's our theme scripture for today's episode? Philippians 1, verses 12 and 13. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Every Christian wants to be faithful in living their life with thankfulness. One immediate question that arises is, well, what what causes us to be thankful? What life experiences bring us to gratitude? Now, most of us would answer that we feel appreciativeness when things fall into place and when a hard experience yields a righteous result. And these are great times to give honor to God. But what about when the opposite happens? What kind of acknowledgement do we give to God when our opportunities are cut off for no good reason? Would we be grateful if we were singled out to have our personal freedoms to spread the gospel stripped and we were instead literally locked into our own house? Well, the Apostle Paul was. The last several years of his life were mostly spent as a prisoner of Rome. So, during that time, what was the secret to his rejoicing? Paul was a prolific writer during the last years of his life, and during his first imprisonment, there were two of them, he wrote four letters to the Brotherhood that Christians refer to as the prison letters or prison epistles. That's Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And there's also reference to a lost letter to the Laodiceans and the book of Hebrews, whose authorship is disputed, but who many attribute to Paul. And today we're going to look at lessons from four of his letters, three of those so-called prison letters, and then the last letter he wrote before his death, the book of 2 Timothy. So to set the stage for Paul's first imprisonment, we drop into Paul's life after he was questioned by King Agrippa, and this happens in Acts chapter 26. From there, it took several months for him to be delivered to Rome as a prisoner. That time, that delivery time, included being shipwrecked and wintering on the island of Malta, all while in chains. During this time as a prisoner, the Apostle Paul advised those around him. He witnessed to the gospel. He followed through on divine intervention to save the lives of others, and he freely healed the sick. So, Julie, when we look at this, let's put this into perspective. We're going to be talking about gratitude throughout this podcast. What was Paul's trail from trial to gratitude as shown in these experiences that we're just summing up? Well, Paul's trail to the rejoicing gratitude of his prison letters began with shackles and drama, although he never faltered in his faith. All right, that's how it began, and he never faltered. And as we go through and and observe Paul's trail from trial to gratitude, we want to embark on our own trail from trial to gratitude, and we want to do it in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 11.1. Follow me, this is the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. For us to find rejoicing in trial, we want to follow Paul as he followed Christ. So therefore, Jonathan, What is our trail from trial to gratitude? Our trail to our most transformative gratitude usually begins in an environment of deep uncertainty. Our lesson? Uncertainty is an open door to rejoicing because it sets the stage for the power of God's providence to prevail. See, most of us don't think about uncertainty as an open door to rejoicing, but it really is. And the Apostle Paul, pay attention, because that's what he teaches us. So let's set the stage for this imprisonment that he had. Let's go to Acts chapter 28, verses uh, 30 to 31, and this is when he finally does get to Rome. 
and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with an openness unhindered. And that last word, unhindered, is key. So one would think his productivity would be limited while under arrest, but instead, imagine there's this hub of activity. Paul would preach to visitors that were coming and going. His closest friends were there, Luke, Epaphroditus, and Timothy. Paul would send them on missions. They'd come back and bring him reports. So a big advantage to this imprisonment was that he finally had some time to write a few letters. So he's got time, but he's shackled, he's stuck, he can't get out. He's still in prison. He's not doing the Apostle Paul daily life that he always did. And this is an incredible lesson of using what's in front of you instead of uh, crying about what you can't do anymore. And while Paul was in prison, he witnessed to the Roman guards. They saw something different in him. He was consistent and tireless. They took note of his beautiful example, and eventually he converted many Romans to Christianity. And he also would have had to have delegated, you know, a lot of things that he was used to doing, being the kind of the, the leader of this gospel, he's got to send out to his trusted people. And you can see God's providence in all of that as it will unfold throughout this podcast. But the bottom line is Paul is, is, is limited, but let, we're going to look at how unlimited he was in this limitation. So the following are some significant, um, well, first of all, let, let's look at the book of Ephesians. This is one of the letters that was written in prison. Julie, just give us a, a background on that. Sure. So Ephesus was perhaps the largest church in Asia Minor, and that's present-day Turkey. Um, Paul had previously visited here on his second missionary journey. He spent three years here on his third missionary journey. So these brethren personally knew him and loved him and they them. So to receive a letter from Paul would have meant so much to the Ephesians. But of course, to get a letter from Rome to his house arrest in Rome to Asia Minor was a big deal, and it had to be carried by messenger. So for such a major effort, it made sense that Paul would write several letters for the other churches in that area, sending them with his messenger, Tychicus, whose name is at the end of many of the letters. In Ephesians 6.21, he calls Tychicus his bro- the loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord. So we're going to focus on the letter to the Ephesians. The following are some, just a few, significant uh, scriptural teachings that Paul relays in this message to the Ephesians. The first, we're going to give you the message, then we're going to give you the scripture. The first message to the Ephesians, always remember that you are privileged only by the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. For by the grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. See, we're his workmanship. Don't ever forget that the privilege you have is the workmanship of God through Christ in you. It's not you. It's what they do with you. Always keep that focused. Next lesson to the Ephesians. God has called us together to be one body and has supplied us with all the tools we need. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Well, my observation, everything you need is here, the tools for spiritual growth, but you have to use them. So you've got everything in front of you. What are you going to do with it? This is what he's writing to those beloved Ephesians. And remember, he is limited. He can't go see them anymore. This is, this is the pouring out of the Apostle Paul to those whom he loved because he knows he's never going to see them again. With the Ephesians, he knew that for sure. Next lesson, because we're one body, immediately and honestly handle your issues with one another. Boy, can we use this lesson, I'll tell you. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not let do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. You hear the positiveness even in dealing with, yes, you have issues. There's this positiveness, there's this joy, there's this gratitude, and the man is in prison. Think about this. This is such a big, big, big thing. Next lesson. 
imitate God's magnanimous love as God expressed that love through Christ. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And continuing in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And one interesting point that separates this letter to the Ephesians from some of the others that Paul wrote is that he doesn't address any behavioral problems with the church. These are all expressions of love and wanting to give them as much fatherly encouragement as he can. And you know the thing about that fatherly encouragement. I, I love this illustration. He says, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, you know, be put away from you." Imagine a kitchen sink that you wash dishes in and all of that, and it's just full of really dirty water. What he's saying is, you've got the the potential. I'm your dad. I'm. I'm. This is. I know you. The potential for all of these things sits in your sink. Open the drain, and let's let it drain out. Clean out that sink. That's how you treat one another. There's this loving, fatherly uh, in, uh, input that he's giving them. It's going to help them change their very lives. Next lesson, focus on making the most of every opportunity and experience and grow by them. Now, remember, the man is sitting in chains. He can't get out of his house, and he's saying, make the most of every opportunity. He's showing them, not just writing them. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul is saying, your life is ordered. Focus on growing. That's what I'm doing in these four walls. That's right. I'm stuck, but I'm working on the growth. Yeah, I love that. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Oh, does that not apply to us now? Yeah. So how are we spending, how are we making the most of our time? That's a big lesson. It is, and we have to focus on it. You don't make the most of your time unless you're focusing on doing that with great intention. It just doesn't happen by accident. Next lesson to the Ephesians. Be strong in fulfilling your roles in your marriages, for they foreshadow Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, 22 to 25. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you have this incredible relationship of husband and wife, and the apostle is urging them Put that relationship in a godly order. Do it as the scriptures have told us to do it so we can honor God. Because through that family, that particular family relationship, from that relationship comes all other family relationships. Make sure you honor God in it. Next lesson that the apostle is teaching the Ephesians in this last correspondence to them of his life. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13 goes into be armed and ready to fight the overwhelming battle that is before each and every one of you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So the apostle is telling the Ephesians, you're in a battle that you will lose. Unless, unless you are fully armed. Don't forget that. And, you know, it's so easy to take advantage of the Apostle Paul being there and relying on him. Well, he's not going to be there anymore. He's saying, arm yourselves so you can stand in this battle that will overwhelm you unless you are using God's armor. And I wanted to go back to Ephesians 1.16 in the New Living Translation. It says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. So one of the practical ways to rejoice in trials is not to let your trials overwhelm your care and concern for others. It's such an important thing to keep it 
in clear perspective. This is why Paul writes from prison, because that's where he is, and he's using his opportunity, and it's his last opportunity to communicate with them. There's joy in this opportunity. So let's look at Paul's trail from trial to gratitude in relation to the book of Ephesians. So after his harrowing journey towards house arrest, Paul's uncertainty remained, but in a different form. It was now, and I love this term, stable uncertainty. So his response, feed the flock, sow the seeds of the gospel, and live as freely in Christ as his chains would allow him to. His uncertainty took on a clear definition. And so he took that uncertainty and he ran with it. And again, for us, 1 Corinthians eleven one. Be followers of me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul did. So what do we do? What is our trail from trial to gratitude? Once the initial uncertainty of our trail to gratitude is over, we too must learn to continue freely giving, even if in a new and more stable uncertainty. This will honor God as we rejoice in what we may not yet know. Here is a practical example of how someone's situation could paralyze them spiritually or move them or move them forward. In episode 820, What is the Fruit of Your Life? Part 2, our dear friend Vicki showed us her spiritual strength and how to rise above her situation dealing with cancer. You can um, either fold or rise above. So go to ChristianQuestions.com or the CQ app and enter the episode 820 into the search bar. And this is one of my favorite episodes. And a question to ask ourselves is, and think about this, what does this trial make possible? And likely it's going to include new ways that we can witness. But a lot of times when we're in in our deepest, hardest trials, it's kind of woe is me and what am I going to do here? But if you start looking outward, what can I do now with this new trial that'll be beneficial? And we can see exactly what the Apostle Paul did with his new trial and how incredibly beneficial it was, not only to the Christians then, but to us as Christians here and now. So for someone whose life had been upended and was now on house arrest, Paul sure was powerful and encouraging. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, whom he knew well. Did he write to any church that he didn't personally know? To answer this question, we need only to look to his letter to the Colossian church. This was a group that he never did get to visit, and yet we will see that their spiritual welfare weighed heavily on Paul's heart. This simple observation helps us see just how dedicated Paul was to Christ and to every single Christian as well. See, Paul had a... a, a, an approach to to Christianity and to the gospel, and the approach was it is important that everyone is on the exact same foundation of Christ. And we're going to see that unfold in his letter to the Colossian church. So Colossae was about 100 miles east of Ephesus, but as you said, Paul never visited here. And this church was founded by Epaphras, one of his converts from his third missionary journey. Uh, Colossae is also in Western Asia Minor, it's modern day Turkey, and it was primarily a church of Gentile believers. So there's striking similarities between the book of Ephesians and Colossians. And we think that if you were to write a letter at the same time, to different people, but you're writing it at the same time, you'd probably repeat phrases and expressions in both letters. And it seems like that's the case with this letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians. They both give the analogy of the body and joints to represent our brotherhood. They both speak of putting away evil. They talk about marriage, family, and love. But this church was in a cosmopolitan city of different cultures and different religions, and it was facing false teaching and heresy. Christianity.com calls it quote, a combination of Greek speculation, Oriental mysticism, and Jewish legalism, all which devalued Jesus Christ as the ultimate authority in matters of faith, end quote. Scholars call this the Colossian heresy, and it was important enough for Paul to pay attention to this small city, and he's going to make a case that the way of Christ alone is supreme and sufficient. So, With all of that in mind, the following are some significant spiritual teachings relayed in Paul's message to the church at Colossae. First lesson that we're going to highlight is always remember that you are privileged only by the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. 
And remember, he sent that same message to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. It's the same message because it's the same foundation. Paul always firmly establishes what the only foundation is. He doesn't, doesn't pull away from it with anybody. Colossians 2, 13 to 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I like the way it says it, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. In Adam, the certificate of debt was unpayable. There was no way out, and it's because Jesus took that and nailed it to the cross. That's why you, brethren in this Colossae church, that's why you have the opportunity you have. It's because of Jesus. The next lesson we're going to focus on, be aware of who and what you follow. Never deviate from Jesus, as he is the head of the body. And Julie, you alluded to that earlier, talking about Ephesians and Colossians, always both talk about the body of Christ. Colossians 2, 18 and 19. And this is from the Young's Literal Translation. Let no one beguile you of your prize, delighting in humble-mindedness and in worship of the messengers, intruding into the things he hath not seen, being vainly puffed up by the mind of his flesh, and not holding the head, from which all the body, through the joints and bands, gathering to supply, and being knit together, may increase with the increase of God. So with the joints and the bands, you know, there, there's, there's, some, there's a, a biology lesson going on here, talking about ligaments and how the body <laughs> is connected together. And it's an important biological lesson because this is a picture of how the church at large is supposed to work. It's always supposed to be interconnected and working together in everything. The next lesson, live your Christian life as a true disciple. Let compassion and humility and love and forgiveness, to name a few, define you. And there's a list here in Colossians 3, 12 to 14. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now think about it. He's talking about the bond of unity. He's sitting there literally in bonds, and he's taking this, this physical difficulty. And can you imagine the smile on the apostle's face when he's writing these words, to have kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and, and bearing with one another. You see, there's joy, there's rejoicing, there's, it's pouring out of his words while he sits there as a captive, knowing full well that his life is getting closer to its end and he's not going to have the freedom that he once had. This is just a beautiful example of, of his pouring himself out when in a limited state so they could be unlimited as they had their opportunities. The next lesson, let the name of Jesus represent everything that you do, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So Jesus is a big theme of this book because, again, Paul is refuting all of those outside influences of heresy in this congregation by contrasting the fullness of Jesus Christ with the emptiness of human philosophy. And again, sitting inside this, this house arrest, he's showing them the bigness of their opportunity. The next lesson that, that we're, we're, we're focusing here in this prison letter is be sure your family relationships are true examples of God-honoring relationships. And in Ephesians, it was really focusing on husbands and wives. This expands it a little bit further. Colossians chapter 3, 18 to 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, so that they will not lose heart. So again, the family relationship takes a very central role in these powerful prison letters. Why? Because Paul knows especially in his absence, that they need to rely on one another in the highest spiritual manner possible. 
Every relationship has to be focused on with God and Christ coming first. These are powerful, powerful letters from a man who can't do what he's always been able to do. And you just see his love and his compassion and the joy of the Lord being his strength in this experience. Next lesson. Work at any and every life task as done to God, as done to the glory of God. I'm sorry. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And in addition, 2 Peter 1 verse 5 reads, add to your faith virtue. And that word virtue means fortitude. And to me, that describes the Apostle Paul. And he said, work heartily as unto the Lord. So add fortitude put yourself into the work, not just doing it just as well as the next person, but pour yourself out into whatever it is you do so you can glorify God at every turn of your life. I think a good synonym for fortitude is strong-mindedness and courage and pain and adversity. So that really does describe the Apostle Paul. So as it pertains to witnessing the gospel to others, you know, there's periods when we're going to be able to work freely. And then John 9, 4 tells us there's going to be a time when no man can work. So however that applies in our personal lives, our day to work, one day it's going to be stopped or greatly limited. That could come because of age or resources or conditions or some other reason. So we need to work while we can. And Again, the Apostle Paul, he's in prison. What a great excuse to say, well, I better, I can kick back a little bit now. No, no, no. He used every ounce of every piece of energy and every opportunity to keep working, even though he's confined. That's one of the big lessons here. The love, the love that Paul had for these whom he never met becomes overwhelmingly obvious in this book. It's also obvious that he knew they loved him with the same kind of selfless dedication. We're going to look at the beginning of the book of Colossians and the end of the book of Colossians to illustrate this. Jonathan, first Colossians 1, 7 through 8, and then Colossians 4, 7 through 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. And as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant of the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So the Apostle Paul is pouring himself out, and he's acknowledging at the beginning of Colossians, he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. And Paul didn't just take that by Tychicus saying, oh, and by the way, Paul, you know, they said they, they really love you and care about you. It wasn't just a casual uh, greeting. It was a, a transference of their heart to his. And he's acknowledging that. And, and he's pouring himself into this letter to show that acknowledgement. There is a deep bond here. And if you notice also, it says this Tychicus is going to bring you information. There's things about his personal situation that we're not told because it was done orally and sent along. It's kind of interesting. I wish we had that written down. But in Colossians 4.16, Paul goes on to say, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So possibly Tychicus carried yet another letter to the Laodiceans, and they were to exchange it with this church in Colossae. The two cities were about 10 miles from each other. And unfortunately, no part of any manuscript has been found of this lost book. So some think maybe it was actually the letter to the Ephesians that we talked about that was circulated through the Laodiceans because it said it was coming from Laodicea. But what do we have so far? We've got letters to the Ephesians, Colossians, maybe the Laodiceans, and then a personal note that was written to Philemon. So these are the things that the apostle is doing while sitting within these four walls, within this house of rest. So again, let's, let's focus in on Paul's trail from trial to gratitude with this house of rest. Julie, what do we have? Because Paul embraced the privilege of his uncertain and limited living conditions, he was able to truly impact even those he had never met. So under, even under house arrest, his rejoicing in Christ was limitless. And he's taking that limitless rejoicing and he's passing it on to others. Again, be followers of me as I follow Christ. That's what he's telling them 
And that's what he should be telling us. So therefore, Jonathan, what is our trail from trial to gratitude? To embrace the uncertainty and limits of our life experiences means we need to grow far beyond the simple acceptance of our current state. In spite of our uncertainty, our trail to gratitude includes reaching out to our brotherhood with love, concern, and encouragement. Well, acceptance is a great start, but not where we end. How do we use it to change others? You know, acceptance is the foundation for changing yourself and then therefore changing others. When we accept the trial, we accept the circumstance, we accept the trial, we accept the limitation, we therefore are saying to the Lord, okay, and Julie, you alluded to this earlier, what do I do? What is the possibility that comes out of accepting this? This is now, instead of a problem, this is now a tool. It might be an awkward tool, but it's still a tool. How do I use it to bring glory to God's name? That's what these prison letters are really showing us, how Paul used limitation as an incredible tool for everyone. I'd like to share a personal uh, practical application. Taking care of my parents in our home was our privilege and a way of honoring them. But we had to continue to do the most important thing, that is plowing through and serving God and the brotherhood, even though we had added responsibilities. They knew we were religious, but didn't understand our lifestyle until they were with us for a while. And we made them a part of our lives by including them in all our activities. And they often said how they appreciated the Bible studies, fellowship, prayers, and hymns. Uh, that was our witness to them, uh, to God be the glory. And again, it's the exact same thing, taking a difficult experience and saying, this is hard, this is different, this is limiting. What can I use it for? What's the opportunity? How do I, how do I bring glory to God? That's what Paul did. That's what we need to do. That's how we can learn this joy and this rejoicing through Paul's prison experiences. Paul's heart was profoundly dedicated to any and all disciples of Christ. He is an example worth following. Ephesians and Colossians are just two of Paul's prison letters. What could we learn from the rest of them? Well, obviously, the lost letter to Laodicea can only be speculated on, and we covered his personal letter to Philemon in another podcast. The letter to the Hebrew Christians, which some say was not written by Paul, is really far too complex for us here today. So this will leave us with Paul's letter to the Philippians as his final correspondence of his two-year house arrest experience. And this letter to the Philippians, this letter is magnificent. Well, for more on Paul's letter to Philemon, see episode 1166, How Did the Apostle Paul Handle a Slave Owner? This deals with remarkable reconciliation of Onesimus, the runaway slave. Go to ChristianQuestions.com or our CQ app and enter the episode number into the search bar. Okay, so let's talk about that church at Philippi. This is the first congregation Paul established in northern Greece. And like the Ephesians, he doesn't address any behavioral problems. This letter is filled with encouragement as the church was facing opposition from the outside and strife and division from the inside. And his message was to have peace and joy in all circumstances, which is especially poignant since, again, he was writing it from prison. And you'll remember in Acts 16, Paul met and converted Lydia in Philippi. Uh, also there, he and Silas were beaten and jailed for casting out a demon from a slave girl, and the jailer ended up converting. So the brethren in Philippi knew him personally, and they loved him. They sent him money. They sent him gifts and clothing. And we'll soon look at the closing salutations in Philippians 4, and we're going to get some insight into why Jesus directed Paul to go to Rome in the first place. And that ends up being a very significant, significant lesson here that really helps to tie up this piece of his life. So let's focus on Philippians. The following are some significant spiritual teachings relayed in Paul's message to the Philippians. And again, listen to the joy and to the rejoicing that comes out of his teaching them while he is on house arrest. First lesson, remember, if God has started a good work within you, he will complete it if you let him, if you are willing. Philippians 1 verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Christ Jesus. God is waiting to complete you. The question is, am I getting out of his way? 
And that's what the apostle is saying. Just get out of his way. Let him change you. Let him mold you. Let him direct you. Let him guide you. Let him show you what to stand on and then move forward. The next lesson that we're focusing on here to the, to the Philippians, the joy of the Lord is always available to each of us, no matter what we are experiencing. And this is a big lesson. We're going to go through two scriptures here. The first is Philippians 1, 12 to 13. And this is our theme text. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Everybody knows. There's this guy in that house He's a Christian, and he doesn't stop talking, and he doesn't stop <laughs> preaching, and he doesn't stop encouraging, and he doesn't stop having people come to see him, and he doesn't stop. He just doesn't stop. There's something about him that's different. Philippians 1, a little bit further now, verses 21 to 25. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So here's the thing. Paul took the uncertainty of his house arrest Remember that he had a stable uncertainty, and he relabeled it here as God's positive and powerful providence for the brotherhood. I am here for your sake, so now that I'm sure, I am working with everything I have to support and encourage you. Wait a minute. I noticed that it is halfway through the podcast before we read a scripture that mentioned joy. We haven't seen rejoicing, <laughs> gratitude, or thanksgiving. How could we talk about rejoicing in trial when it isn't been mentioned in our list of scriptures? That's well, a good point. <laughs> and, but, but see, the answer is, this is the driving force behind the writing. The imprisonment didn't stifle his joy. It didn't stifle his rejoicing. As a matter of fact, it turned them into hyperdrive. It moved them up. It moved it forward. And it, just, it comes out, the attitude is what we're seeing and what we're feeling. So you're right, Jonathan, it's the first time we see joy, but it's all over everything we're talking about. So, so let's go on to the next lesson. Jesus became human so that every human will have the opportunity to honor God in the future. Philippians 2, 8 to 11. Being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, now look, here's a perfect example. You don't see joy or rejoicing in that scripture, do you? No. Okay, but you do see giving glory to God the Father. Tell me how that's not joy and rejoicing. <laughs> I'm telling you, You're right. it's all over everything, and he's in prison, and this is what he's writing. Next lesson, all human accomplishment is meaningless and cannot cannot compare with our privilege in Christ. Philippians 3, 7 to 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. So I love these texts because they show the opposite ends of the spectrum. On one hand, he counts as loss his previous life. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he had a religious pedigree as a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. And when compared to his new personal relationship with Jesus, that was loss. On the other hand, he counts all of his sufferings as loss in his life as a new Christian. Nothing is valuable except that which is in the middle, and that's Christ Jesus. He counts his highest highs and lowest lows as nothing. How do we rejoice in trials? This balance of contentment while in the Lord's service is how. So, Jonathan, I'm just telling you again, didn't say joy or rejoice in that scripture, but you see no, it. Secret joy. It didn't. It, but it's <laughs> all over what he's writing. And folks, this is what we want to pull from this. He is on house arrest, and it's 
pouring out of him. And when you read these things and realize his circumstances, you think, wow, there is a joyful man behind all of this teaching. Goes further. Next lesson, let it never, never let a day go by without rejoicing in the Lord. Pray with confidence and claim God's peace. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, <laughs> rejoice, rejoice in thanksgiving. I'm okay now. Okay. I- I'm good. Okay. I'm good. All right. So you're, he's good. So if Jonathan's good, we could be good. Rejo- and you don't just rejoice sometimes. You rejoice <laughs> always. 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 See? So you don't have to say it all the time. The apostle is living it all right. the time. And he's telling us to live it all the time. Next lesson, pay close attention to what you're letting you, your mind dwell upon because our thoughts can help us or our thoughts can hurt us. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So the flip side is, if it's not honorable, right, pure, lovely, with no spiritual excellence, put it away from you. So I use this scripture to force my mind back to center whenever I'm scared or lonely or approaching a temptation. This one is well worth memorizing to repeat over and over again. And this is why I love the book of Ephesians so much. And it's in Philippians too. How about that? Oops, Philippians. <laughs> I love Ephesians also, yes. but I love Philippians. That's I could my tell. favorite prison letter. I, I could tell. I could tell you love both. But see, here's the thing. There's the, the, the gratitude of having these pieces put in front of us. This is how you think. This is why you think it. This is what that kind of thinking can do for you. And again, it's from a man who's completely limited, who used to be able to go where he wanted and preach to whom he wanted, and he was always on the move, always running, up till midnight, preaching so many times, working during the day and preaching to everybody in sight, and now he can only preach to those who come to his door. His life is different, but his character is not. Next lesson, realize that Christ will see you through whatever your experience is set before you. Just trust him. He'll see you through. Just trust him. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul is saying he can put aside things in the past and he can accept what's happening to him now in prison. This is contentment, as he wrote about it two verses earlier when he said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. That also reminds me of Joseph. He was content and flourished wherever he was, in Potiphar's house, in prison, and being second in command to Pharaoh. And this is an important lesson on this particular scripture, because it's not, I can do anything in the world through Christ who strengthens me. It's, I can cope with whatever God's providence brings to me through Christ who strengthens me. And he's living proof in this house arrest as he's doing this. So now let's focus on this house arrest and why is he here and what's happening as a result of him now being in Rome, waiting for two years for something to happen. Well, let's go back to the very beginning of Paul's life to begin to get some focus. Remember what Jesus told Ananias about Paul's mission? Jonathan, let's go to Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. So he was told, Ananias was told that, convert this, this, this man, bring him to me. I've spoken to him. He's ready to follow because he is going to bring my name before kings. Well, here's what's happening now while he's in house arrest. Paul lets the Philippians know that the gospel has even reached Caesar's own household. Listen to this, Philippians 4.22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. (laughs) I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. I'm in Rome, and what am I doing? I've gotten into Caesar's household, and I never left my house. How was he able to do that? It's the joy of the Lord that was his strength. And folks, this is why we look at these prison letters and realize how constricted he was, and yet how free he was at the same time. Paul's trail from trial to gratitude. Julie, what do we have? 
Paul has embraced and thoroughly rejoiced in his house arrest experience, knowing that God wanted him to be limited so that God's unlimited power and providence could spread the gospel in seemingly impossible ways. Here, 2,000 years later, we're still marveling at it. Paul's stable uncertainty was revealed to have clear and powerful purposes. Powerful purpose to the uncertainty. That's the way we want to look at it. Be followers of me, of Paul, as I follow Christ. So we take that lesson from Paul and Jonathan for our trail from trial to gratitude. What do we have? To step up to rejoicing, to truly rejoice in our uncertain experiences, is to follow Paul's example by giving them unequivocal certainty. We know all things work together for our good, Romans 8, 28, and therefore can genuinely rejoice in God's will being done. Paul allowed his energy, sorry, his experience to drive where his energy would go. It never drained his energy. So he often found himself in an environment where he could have easily given up just like us. So our lesson is we can accomplish great things in a small amount of time. Look what Paul did in just the last two or three years of his life. What's my choice? What am I going to do with the uncertainty in my life? Am I going to be a Paul or am I going to be appalled by the experience? I mean, think about it. We have that choice as to how we respond to what is given us. Paul had an uncanny ability to see through trial and find God's will. No wonder he had so much to write about. Paul's two-year house arrest produced great joy and growth. What about his final imprisonment? Well, Paul's final imprisonment brought him to the end of his life. Conditions in Rome had deteriorated as Christians were being executed for the beliefs, often in public and humiliating ways. Paul was in chains and now had no expectation of release, and he was essentially alone as the local church was either killed or forced into hiding. So now he's in a real prison. His second letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, would be Paul's final testimony. All right, so let's recap what we have so far. The first imprisonment in Rome was more of a house arrest. It lasted about two years. It was around AD 60. He was able to preach and see friends and converts, and he wrote to the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, maybe a lost letter to the Laodiceans, and Philemon. Historically, it was believed that he wrote the book of Hebrews during this time, but scholars are still debating the authorship. He gets released from prison for about a year. He goes to Greece And in his freedom, he writes two out of what would become three, what they're called pastoral letters. He wrote Titus and 1 Timothy. However, he was sent back to Rome and he was imprisoned a second and final time before he died. And this imprisonment was totally different. He had no expectation of release. And the emperor Nero had increased his brutal persecutions of Christians. So there was not this activity of students and co-laborers and the gospel coming in and out to see him. The local congregation is gone, and the time to write letters is running out. So in his last letter, this third pastoral letter of 2 Timothy, he writes it to his spiritual son, Timothy. And in it, he writes how he hopes Timothy will come to see him, but it is doubtful that that reunion ever took place. And what we have in 2 Timothy is a turning over responsibility, saying, I am no longer in service in this way, I'm counting on you. So the following are some significant spiritual teachings relayed in Paul's final message to Timothy. These are serious, but they're still incredible rejoicing. First lesson that we're going to highlight today. You have need of great courage to stand firmly for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And again, it's all about that foundation of Jesus. He's always promoting the foundation of Jesus. 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 9. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is granted us in Christ Jesus for all eternity. So there's a big, powerful, big picture here. But there's a line in the middle that we really want to focus on. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and of me as prisoner. Well, think about it. Our Lord, what happened to him? He was crucified. What's happening to Paul? He's about to be executed. 
And so you've got the testimony of these two, quote, great leaders. One life ended in crucifixion. The other is about to be executed. It's easy to be embarrassed in the, in the local culture. And he's telling Timothy, stand above that because you know what Jesus stood for and you know where Jesus is now and you know what I stand for and what I'm handing over to you. Don't be embarrassed. Be courageous. The next lesson, stand firm upon that which you know to be absolute truth and guard it at all costs. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit which dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Uh, Rick and Julie, in 2 Peter 3, 15 to 17, Peter agreed with Paul and confirmed that everything Paul wrote was sanctioned by God and that he stood for truth. For more on this, see episode 1199, Are My Christian Beliefs Based on Truth or Error? And I had um, heard a sermon from a wonderful minister named Tim Krupa called The Apostle Paul's Last Work. And this is one of the uh, many lessons that was out of that. He said, Paul was imprisoned but aren't we all imprisoned in one way or another? How often can you really do what you want to do? We have constraints, physical, economic, social, family. The example of Paul's incredible effectiveness and spirituality while he was in prison should be a lesson for us. And here, Jonathan, you read uh, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard that treasure. We have that treasure, the gospel that's been entrusted to us. And we can't use the excuse that, well, I can't serve God in the way I'd like to. Because Paul did great things while he was in chains. And he didn't stop here either. He's still passing on the gospel, and he's passing on the responsibility of the gospel. For, we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. And there's three specific points from chapter 2, which we actually reviewed more in more depth last week. In last week's episode, it was episode 1204, Am I Fighting For or Against God? And there were three specific characteristics of Christianity that Paul relays to Timothy in this final letter. The first lesson here is be ever willing to suffer the hardships of a soldier as you stand for the highest godly principles, and that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So soldier forward, soldier on, that's part of your responsibility. And some of us as Christians can really relate to that picture. The next picture is, is a different one that we can potentially relate to. Be accountable to the rules of godliness. Success outside of scriptural guidelines, is not success at all. And this is a picture of an athlete having to compete exactly in accordance with the rules or be disqualified. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And again, competing, it's not something that you take lightly. It's not something that's easy. So you're looking at say, okay, are we losing the joy and the gratitude? No, but it's, it's translated through hard work. It's translated through clear focus. It's translated through making sure you're doing what is before you. The third example is that of a farmer. And the, and the lesson here is to, be, um, to work the works of faith with patience and perseverance. Living a life driven by God needs to be cultivated and patiently developed over time. It's not overnight. Just because you feel like you're, quote, saved doesn't mean anything. It's how things are developed throughout life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Work the development of your own life and work the development of those around you. That's what the apostle is telling to Timothy. Oh, my son, my spiritual son, I'm putting you, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you with the care of the churches. These are the things you need to know. Next lesson, brace yourself and warn others of the dramatic gospel-corrupting influences that are coming. These are big, they're bad, and they're definitely coming. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, 
malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Okay, we're focusing on rejoicing in trial. And here's what the apostle is writing to his spiritual son. The rejoicing in this warning is the fact that Paul gives it. Paul forewarns Timothy in great detail of the kinds of things to watch for. Why? He's protecting Timothy. He's protecting the gospel. He's protecting the mission. And there is rejoicing in that protection. So even when you're being told these difficult things, there's this rejoicing in service that we cannot underestimate, especially here at the end of Paul's life. And he is in prison, and he's weak, and he knows he's going to die. And these are the things that he's telling his beloved spiritual son. These are the most important things. Next lesson. He tells to his beloved son, spiritual son Timothy, take heart in the equipping power of the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So this means any other source, unless it's entirely in harmony with God's word, should be put aside. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. If it's not entirely in harmony with God's word, Timothy, here's what I'm telling you to do. Be the example of putting those things aside first and foremost and staying with that which is pure. His next lesson to Timothy, preach, correct, encourage. And by the way, do it all with godly patience. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. What does that mean to pre- to be ready in season and out of season? You know, that, that that's a good question because to me what, what that means is be ready with the gospel always coming with you no matter what you're doing. You may be going about just a, a very, very earthly task, very something very mundane, but you have to have the gospel with you at all times, in all places, not only in word, but in character and in action. Be ready in season and out of season, even when nobody's watching, so you think. Always be ready to be representing the gospel, not with just your words, but with your thoughts and with your actions. Be ready, instruct, and be patient with those whom you are witnessing to. The next lesson and the final lesson, really, that we're going to be focusing on the Apostle Paul, is he's, he's running out of his life energy, and he's basically saying here, I am spent. I pretty much have nothing left, and I now embrace the certainty of death. And you think about that, and you say, wow, that's depressing. But here's how Paul frames it. He says, I now embrace the certainty of death, which brings the certainty of life in Christ. And there is rejoicing even in death. Second Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I'm draining away. I'm going to be killed soon. And yet, what waits for me? The crown of righteousness. This is how Paul frames death. And you look at that and say, wow, there's no rejoicing in death. And Paul says, oh, yes, there is. Oh, yes, there is. It's big, it's powerful, and it's what we live for. So, Julie, as we begin to wrap this up, Paul's trail from trial to gratitude, what do we have? Well, Paul is now in this humanly hopeless situation, and all the spreading of the gospel, the teaching, the converting, the healing, the encouraging experiences, these are all behind him. But yet he spiritually rejoiced in the face of death by passing the sacred torch of protecting this treasure, this gospel, onto his dear spiritual son, Timothy. He rejoiced in the face of death because the gospel could live on as he writes this letter. And we've been saying all along, be followers of me as I follow Christ. And if Paul could rejoice at that time when it's, it's, it's hopeless from a human standpoint, 
surely we can take our difficulties and rejoice in them. Be followers of me as I follow Christ. Jonathan, what is our trail from trial to gratitude? Our trail to gratitude and rejoicing will at some point lead us to the inevitable failing of our human frame. Let us stand firm in gratitude for the countless ways we've been blessed. Rejoice in God's providence. Bask in the forgiveness of Jesus' sacrifice. Recount the power of resurrection. Feel the exhilaration of his eternal plan and his kingdom. And remember, none of this could have ever happened without trials. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And Jonathan, are you good with the rejoicing? I'm good now, brother. (laughs) And see, folks, this is rejoicing in trial. What we see in the apostle here is a dramatic example for us to look at, to wonder at, and to follow every day. The theme that runs through these last letters of Paul is an exhortation to love. This is the quality that will distinguish the true Christian. Despite all his challenges and traumas, Paul never lost his confidence in the Heavenly Father, nor in Jesus. Paul's closing words in 2 Timothy 4, 18 and 22 show this confidence even though he was in a Roman dungeon awaiting execution. He writes, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. He says the Lord will rescue me. He died, and he was rescued because he was brought to his eternal home. That's the rescue, folks, that is full of rejoicing that we all, by God's grace, can look forward to. Be a Paul in your trials. Rejoice as you stand, even if you are limited. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Send us your questions in this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast, General Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get them. Rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Next week, is a near-death experience a glimpse of heaven? Talk to you then.